Welcome to This is Palestine. I'm Deanna Butu. The Boycott, Divestment, and Sanctions Movement is a Palestinian-led movement for freedom, justice, and equality. It was inspired by the South African anti-apartheid movement. Since its formal launch in 2005, the BDS movement has had a major impact on ending international support for Israeli apartheid, with companies now divesting from or not investing in Israel, including companies like Ben & Jerry's. Owing to the strength of the BDS movement, Israel has sought to break it. In 2016, Israel revamped its Ministry of Strategic Affairs to specifically combat the BDS movement. In its first year alone, Israel spent $50 million on anti-BDS activities. These activities include the establishment of a, quote, tarnishing unit, unquote, aimed at destroying the careers of Palestine activists and human rights defenders, and also attempts to outlaw BDS worldwide, but particularly in the U.S. and in Germany. To date, 33 U.S. states have passed anti-BDS laws, which are laws that aim to stop individuals and companies from securing contracts if they support the BDS movement. It is in this light that the Just Vision film titled Boycott is made. Boycott follows the attempts to challenge these anti-BDS laws in a number of U.S. states, including Texas, Arkansas, and Arizona. Boycott premiered on November 14, 2021 at Dock, New York. Since its premiere, it has been screened in over 20 locations across the globe, with some major screenings such as the 2022 South by Southwest Film Festival and the Human Rights Watch Festival in London. We're joined today by the film's director, Julia Basha, and one of the individuals who challenged this anti-boycott policy, Bahia Amawi. Bahia is a speech pathologist who worked with school children in Texas and who was forced to sign a clause in her contract stating that she would not boycott Israel. And if she did not sign this clause, she was not allowed to keep her job. Bahia chose not to sign the contract and instead challenged these anti-BDS laws. We hear how these laws began, the impact of these boycott laws on Bahia and others, and how these laws are serving as a template for other laws aimed at trying to curb boycotts against other companies, such as those involved in the gun industry or in fossil fuels. Boycott will be showing this week on June the 10th in Berlin for the EU premiere as part of the Hijacking Memory Conference. Bahia Amawi. How are you? Welcome to This is Palestine. Thank you for having me. So, Bahit, tell me a little bit about yourself and the work that you do as a speech pathologist. Yeah, so I um, evaluate um, children with um, speech and language um, disorders. Um, I work mainly in the early childhood, so kids from three to five years old. Um, and I'm also I'm, I'm bilingual. I also do the, the student, I evaluate students who have Arabic as their home language survey. So I'm quite, actually quite, um, you know, a valuable member of the team at, at the Louisville Independent School District because they don't have an Arabic bilingual speech language pathologist. And it really helps to have someone that speaks the language and native language of the student. So you can differentiate between um, dialect versus disorder. 
And you're also the mother of four children? Yes, I have four children and I actually homeschool them. So, um, so yeah, so they're a big part of my life. So as we see in this film boycott, you were presented with a contract to continue your work with the school district. And in the contract, there is a clause regarding boycott of Israel. Can you tell me just a little bit about the contract and, and the clause and when you first saw that that clause that was in there? Yeah, sure. So it was in 2018. I remember it vividly, actually. It's been about like after nine years of working with um, Flugerville Independent School District. And I have had usually really um, a copy uh, version of the contract every single year. But in 2018, I had signed the original contract. And then two weeks later, an addendum was added. Even my supervisor had not seen it. And she told me just to look over and sign it. That was when I first was aware of this, this addendum. And as I'm going through it, it's quite lengthy. It's about seven, eight pages. And it's a lot of, you know, um, legal jargon. So I don't really understand it. It took me a while. So I told her I need a couple, you know, a week at least to go through it. So I know exactly what I'm, you know, signing. And so I'm, as I'm reading through it, you know, it looked like at first initially typical, um, you know, clauses for, you know, equal employment, clean water act, things of normal things until I saw the word Israel. And at first I thought maybe I'm seeing something. I mean, like I was kind of did not believe it. And I was like, that would make no sense. Why would that word be in my contract? And I look closer and, and it's there. And I literally just, I pause and I, I scream, actually, it was, my kids came down downstairs and they're like, what's the matter? I go, tell me if I'm seeing something incorrectly. Do you see the word Israel? I'm like, yep, that's the word Israel. Because to me, it was just shocking how this, you know, the foreign country had to do anything with my job as a speech language pathologist in elementary school setting in Pflugerville Independent School District in Texas, out of all places. So I didn't see a connection at all between my job and a foreign country. And so it was, I was baffled by it. And then when I read the clause and it stated that I have to confirm, I must confirm that currently, currently do not boycott, boycott or will boycott during my time uh, working with the state. And I already had boycotted, so I already would have been in violation of that, of the clause already. And that was the first time I experienced it. And so I called up my supervisor the next day and I told her, listen, I can't sign this part at all. It's against my free speech, First Amendment right. And it's the, against my principles since, you know, I'm, I, I cannot do it consciously because I am Palestinian. And I cannot be complicit to what's happening there. And she understood, actually, I've been working with her for so long and I know her well. I and mean, she's like, just cross over and initial. You know, so I did that. And unfortunately, it wasn't enough. I mean, she tried to help me to go around it. But at the end, they came back and they said, if you don't sign it, you cannot return back to work. And that was basically the, the force, you know, of me being leaving my work. I was forced to leave my work at that moment. And so, didn't you know, other people, but he would see the clause and probably just take it off and say, oh, how are they ever going to enforce this anyway? Did that thought of ever cross your mind? It did not. You know, when I, I saw it, I was just really offended, so offended as an American citizen and as a Palestinian. As an American, you know, I, I was offended because here I have my First Amendment right that I am entitled to as an American citizen, like any other American. And just because I advocate for something the government does not share it with, with my ideas, they have no right to deny me that. And um, so that was to me was offensive and it's just aggravating me more. And the fact 
as a Palestinian defendant, because here is another way of dehumanizing us and delegitimizing our struggle and our self-determination. So it, to me, it was a, a kind of, you know, two way where I'm just, I have to do something about it. I could not, you know, let it just go, you know, past. And I, in the fact, I was worried also that if I let this go, then, you know, this can evolve into something even more greater. I mean, what if they prevented my, my, my students, my, 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 um, excuse me, my children from before registering to college, they have to sign this, you know, this clause. It could involve them something more greater because obviously, you know, BDS is working. So they have to find a way to combat it. And that's how we know it's working BDS because they're coming up with laws and different ideas to try to stop it. And I was worried that it may evolve and get to the um, state colleges and that students were required to sign it before registering. And what about your family? Were they supportive or not supportive of you not signing? <laughs> my husband was my rock. He was definitely supportive all the way. Um, and the kids were like kind of confused or like they didn't understand what's you know, this is something new to them. They're all very young at that time. Amazingly, it was a long time ago. It seems like it was just yesterday, but it was a really long time ago. And my son actually was like, well, I'm just signing it. Nobody's going to know. But, you know, I told him, no, I would know. And God would know. And that's enough for me. Um, and I plus, I wanted them to be an example for them that they're just as American as anybody else. And no one has a right to stomp over their, their First Amendment that they are equal in um, exercising these First Amendment rights. And just because you're a Palestinian does not mean you're not allowed to use it or you're advocating for Palestinian justice, you're not allowed to use it. Um, I didn't want them to be vilified as Palestinians. We're already, that's being done, um, you know, uh, in a great deal here in America, in the history books, in schools, on the news. So I did not want them to feel always vilified. And as their mom, I want to make sure that I protect them and they feel, you know, proud of their heritage and their country. It sounds like you were out of work for some time. How, how long were you yeah. unable to work? So a whole year, actually, because this was the beginning of the school year. This was in, um, I want to say early September. It was like the first week of September maybe happened. So the whole year I did not work until we had received the deliberation all the way at the end in May by the judge, which ruled in our favor, thank God. But by that time, school was already out. They did issue me another contract, gratefully, um, with no, without the clause in it, but I wouldn't be able to work again until the fall, obviously. So that year, a lot of children lost an important service. And, and that's just really sad that our state, our government would, you know, prefer to support an apartheid, oppressive um, settler colonialism, colonialism um, country um, instead of supporting their own people and um, upholding the constitution. It was, it was really, it was really a sad moment in, in what our government was doing at that time. And presumably it also impacted you financially. Um, thank God my husband works full time. To me, this, um, it, it, it wasn't for me um, a financial a job, a job for means of finance. It was really a means of me still being involved in my field, which I, I worked hard, you know, to achieve the degree in. And it's a service that I know is needed. Being a speech language pathologist is very gratifying and satisfying. You know, actually before I was, I had my bachelor's in advertising and I worked in that for a little bit of time, but I didn't see any satisfaction in it. And so I was never felt, you know, any motivation to go to work. There's no gratitude involved in it. So I went back to school because I wanted something that makes me feel good when I get up in the morning that I look forward to. And, and this does that. So uh, Bahi, tell me a little bit about your family in Palestine. Where are they? So my family, we're um, from a tiny village near Tulkerim. It's called Bala. Um, and so um, both my parents are from, um, my mom and dad are from that um, village. Um, we lived there a few years when I was younger. 
And then um, every summer we would go and spend the whole summer there with our grandparents and our cousins. And, you know, it was uh, actually one of my favorite moments and most um, pleasurable moments I had as a child. I enjoyed visiting there always and spending my time there. The house, my grandma's house and grandfather home, they were, um, we'd have 50 people in the house. We you know they would come and visit and stay there. And it was just one of those things you don't forget. You know, it was different life, of course, than in America. Of course, they were, didn't have the same luxuries, but amazingly, we had our, each other's company and it was just. It's wonderful. So now that you've won, do you think that there's going to be an appeal they tried to appeal it, but it didn't go through. So it was it was still upheld that my law that for contracts individuals it would still stand that they cannot they can they're allowed to boycott and that law does not and the law does not apply to contractors. However, they amended the, the law. That's what they did. They amended the law, and what, that's what they've been doing in many different states where plaintiffs have won, like in Arkansas and Arizona. They amend the laws and they change it to the ones individually those who are impacted. So instead of individuals being impacted, they change it to companies of $100,000 or more or 10 employees or more. So currently the law in Texas now applies only to companies. Um, and even though we had an actual company who did sue the state of Texas as well in Houston, but the judge ruled that only uh, that only he is allowed to still boycott, but no one else because no one else is impacted by this. So it was kind of confusing the deliberation. I mean, he kind of won you know, um, it's still currently available the law, it's still here, but it, it didn't entirely repeal the law because it's still it's present in Texas. However, it doesn't apply to this one company because he is from Gaza. And how did your family react to the decision? Oh, they were all elated, of course, you know, um, especially my son after we have gone through the whole entire year. And it was a very busy year with a lot of, um, you know, talking to representatives. I took him with me actually when I spoke to representatives to try to encourage them to um, not to sign for the amended version. And, you know, all the many interviews and the events we went to to kind of bring attention to this law. At the end, he told me, Mom, I'm really proud of you, and I'm glad you didn't sign it. So I felt like this was a learning curve for them. I feel like I did my job as a mom, making sure that they, you know, continue in our legacy in this fight for self-determination. Well, thank you very much, Bahia. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I'm sure they are proud of you. We're, we're grateful that, you've, that you took on the, the, that you rose to the challenge, and, uh, and of course, that you succeeded. Um, thank you. Yeah, thank God for that. I want to turn now to the the director of uh, the film Boycott, Julia Basha. Julia, welcome to This is Palestine. Thank you so much for having me. What inspired you to put this together? I've been working as a documentary filmmaker uh, together with the team at Just Vision for 18 years now. And all of our films up until Boycott were focused on the stories of Palestinians and Israelis in the region. But over the past few years, we've noticed a troubling trend of laws starting in Israel and then being exported to countries in Europe and the United States that are crushing uh, dissent and trying to prevent whether uh, it's Palestinians or Israelis or Europeans or Americans from advocating on behalf of Palestinian human rights. The anti-boycott laws in the United States that have now passed in 33 states and uh, are affecting regular American citizens like Bahia Maui um, were, I think, the, the tipping point for us that really alarmed us because 
these laws were allowed to pass with very little public scrutiny or debate. Uh, if you talk to the vast majority of Americans today, they have no idea that this law applies to them. They have no idea that their right to protest a foreign country is being taken away from them quietly. And we felt we needed to sound the alarm bells. When we learned that there was a, uh, a number of Americans from different political backgrounds who were uh, challenging these bills and taking the bills to court, uh, saying that you know, the anti-boycott bills violated their First Amendment right, uh, we felt we had a great narrative thread uh, to follow. And, uh, and so what were some of the challenges that you faced when putting together this film? I, I saw some of it in the credits, but if you can just list, uh, spell it out for our listeners. We wanted very much to ground the film on the experiences of Americans who are being directly affected by these bills. Oftentimes, when we talk about uh, laws that are being passed, um, it can feel abstract. Uh, but when you understand that you know, these are clauses showing up on contracts um, of architects, engineers, teachers, um, street sweepers, um, speech therapists, lawyers across the country, and, and the chilling effect that this have on individuals who want to be able to keep their jobs while also being able to advocate um, for causes that are important for them. I think it was really important to have that personal journey on the film. And we really wanted to explore how come these laws were able to pass in 33 states with the vast majority of Americans having no idea that this happened. Who was behind it? How, how did it come about? And so the film also has an investigative um, thread where we look at the interest groups and the flow of money that allowed uh, these bills to be very effectively passed around uh, and, and how little scrutiny they were given. I think one of the challenges of, of putting together a film like this, number one is you're following you know, lawsuits that you don't know where they're gonna go, right? We've, we filmed uh, several plaintiffs uh, over three years and uh, you, it, it's a leap of faith and you have to trust your gut that uh, things are gonna develop in a way that will uh, provide a, a compelling narrative arc. And, and the second thing is um, we are focusing on uh, interest groups that really want this to stay quiet. Uh, so you know, gaining access, getting people to talk to us um, and protecting our access and our ability to tell this film um, in, in a way that can be then successfully distributed um, was one of the concerns that throughout the production we were keeping an eye out for. One thing that struck me, Julia, is the way that this legislation is also impacting other areas in the United States and other laws. And in one scene, it's mentioned that this then serves as a template for other uh, bills, mostly bills that are, are supportive of big corporations that are right-wing leaning. Can you talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. We um, saw the writing on the wall when these bills started passing. When we, when we were in production, it was a theoretical idea that the anti-boycott bills targeting um, Americans who want to advocate for Palestinian human rights could be used as a template to attack Americans advocating for other social justice issues 
that are important to them. Um, by the time we finished the film and we were locking picture, these new bills had already started coming into real life. So currently right now, you have bills um, across several states that say that if you want to boycott the fossil fuels industry because you're interested in protecting our planet from being destroyed, you can not keep your job with the state anymore. Companies that have decided to adopt screens um, so that they won't be invested in fossil fuels or in other industries that are contributing to global warming, uh, those companies can no longer receive investment from public pension funds in states like Texas. Um, similarly, there are bills that say that if you want to boycott the firearms industry because you want to create gun safety in America, and we've seen the tragedy uh, that just happened in Texas over the past week, uh, now you cannot boycott the firearms industry. And all of these bills were modeled after the anti-BDS bill. Now, currently the new bills are only supported by Republicans, but the anti-BDS bill was passed with bipartisan support. So Democrats who are now trying to attack Republicans for trying to take away the right of Americans to protest really need to take a hard look at how they are themselves responsible for opening the Pandora's box. Um, so, Julie, what's next for you and for Just Vision? Um, so we are uh, currently in the film festival circuit with Boycott. Um, we have been showing the film around the country. We've been to Texas at South by Southwest. Uh, we were in Arizona. We were in Montana and Ohio and D.C. and New York. We were in Canada at Hot Docs. Um, we will, in the fall, uh, of 2022 start doing community and educational screenings of the film. Uh, we would like to bring it to houses of worship and campuses, community groups, think tanks. We're gonna have a congressional screening. Um, so anyone um, who is listening, who is interested in bringing boycott to their communities, we would love to hear from them. Uh, they can get in touch um, with us at info at justvision.org. Um, and uh, we are in the immediate future uh, next week on June um, 8th and June 9th, we have screenings in London. June 10th, we have a big screening in Berlin. Uh, our team uh, will be there for both of these screenings. And the goal is to really connect the dots because uh, anti-boycott bills uh, are now coming to the UK. About um, a month ago, there was an amendment introduced that also bring uh, anti-boycott laws to the United Kingdom, uh, and that's still at the early stage. And we, there's a lot of organizers in the UK who want to learn lessons from what happened in America and how to fight these bills. Uh, so we want to bring this film to Europe to really broaden the conversation around the attempts to uh, take away the right to protest a foreign government that is spreading around the globe. Well, I thank you both um, for all of your work on this. Bahia, thank you for taking this on and for showing your conviction, your courage. Thank you, Julia, for putting together a very brilliant film and for following up with this and uh, for educating us not only about what the anti-boycott movement is doing, but its links to other anti-social justice movements. I think that is very, very, very important. So thank you both for, for speaking with us today. Okay.
Bahia. And to me, I, I want to say it's just an honor for me to be part of this documentary. Um, it's really, I was very grateful that they asked me to be part of it. And, um, and Just Vision has been extremely respectful of our privacy and, um, and our time. Um, and for me, this documentary is a validation that I was on the right side of the law. Um, and because it's, you know, they've tried to silence me, the politicians started to silence me um, and threaten my job um, and, and censor me. But here now, not only speaking, I can speak only in the speaker, I can speak to people at my work regarding this anywhere I want to, but I'm actually educating the entire world um, regarding uh, Palestine self-determination and the, the issue over there. So I'm, I'm extremely grateful to be part of this. This has been an amazing experience um, and I encourage people to see it. Well, you're, you're not just on the right side of the law, uh, but he, both, you, both you and Julia are on the right side of history. And I think if anything, people are gonna look back at this period and say, how, how did this even happen? So I thank you both. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to This is Palestine, a podcast brought to you by the Institute for Middle East Understanding. The IMEU is a nonprofit focused on giving you access to untold stories, facts, and expert sources on all things Palestine. For more information, please visit our website at www.imeu.org and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at the IMEU. Please don't forget to subscribe. I'm Deanna Butu. Thanks for listening.